we've moved away from that notion. And as you know, there's deep suspicion about the purposes of the university in the public mind. And sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for not so good reasons. Welcome back to The Kevin Roberts Show. This week, we're talking about what may be the most important political, cultural, and economic issue of our time, education. It's an issue close to my own heart. As a former teacher and university president, as the founder of a K-12 school, but most of all as a parent and a fifth-generation educator, I think education is the issue of our age because it's the most important issue that human beings have. To paraphrase Winston Churchill, we form our schools and then our schools form us. Unfortunately, America's schools have never done a poorer job forming citizens than they do today. Many public and private schools in our own education system today are captured by woke activists. And although you can't always trust historians like me to tell you about the future, 20 years ago, I knew this was going to happen. I was a young, conservative, Christian history professor at a large public university in the Southwest. I should have said I was the only young, conservative Christian history professor at a large public university in the Southwest. And what I mean by that is I would sit in department meetings, I would sit in faculty senate meetings, and I would go home and ask myself, what in the world are these people talking about? And what's happened is all of the students, or many of the students, that those crazy radical leftists had in their own classes have now become teachers. Some of them have become assistant superintendents for ideological and curricular and instruction studies in your local school district. The point is that we have now gone through an entire generation, if not more, of American students who have been beset with this ideological destruction of our country. And unfortunately, the two years of COVID shutdowns only accelerated the power that these people have, from teachers' unions to the aforementioned school board problem to the education bureaucracies. And on that point, let me just remind you that for every dollar we spend on public education in the United States, more than 50 cents goes to the education bureaucracy. That is something that has accelerated in the 40 years that we've had this wonderful agency called the U.S. Department of Education. All of this to say that this entire morass of American education has one thing that is its objective. It is not education. It is indoctrination. It's really fueled by American universities. For a couple of generations, American universities have not only turned on our country's history and ideals, they've turned on the traditional idea of education itself. So just put politics and ideology and and political philosophy off to the side universities aren't even doing what they're supposed to be doing when it comes to education. So what can we do about it? This really is what we're focused on in this episode. In a lot of ways, this is what we're focused on every day at the Heritage Foundation. So if this is your first time watching or listening, thank you for tuning in. Each week, we're diving into issues that matter with voices across the conservative movement. And very importantly, we're equipping freedom lovers across the nation to keep America free and prosperous. As I mentioned this week, we're focused on education, and I really want to mention a really important point. Often people will tell me, Kevin, I've got my kids or my nieces or nephews in in the local school district, and it's okay because I can put the, the political stuff off to the side. I can sort of reprogram them when they get home. But the mistake they're making 
when they make that really well-intentioned statement is assuming that in those classrooms, the three R's are happening, that we're still teaching well, reading, arithmetic, and writing. It's just not happening. There's no data, whether from a right-of-center public policy group or a left-of-center public policy group, that shows that American schools are actually focused on education. Actually, to put a fine point on it, Over the last 20 years, American schools, American students' educational attainment has slipped precipitously relative to the rest of the developed world. And it leads me to this point. If a nation takes on the character of its people, then our classrooms are ultimately about formation of citizens and souls. If that's the case, we're failing across the board, whether it's in the formation of citizens and souls or whether it's in the hard skills of these really important subjects. But the news gets even worse. And this is coming from an optimist. The left understands this. They understand that education is about more than just the hard subjects. Education is about the future. And therefore, radical leftists have understood for a long time that education is the issue of our age. And therefore, from the classroom to principal's offices, from school boards to education departments, from campuses to Congress, Radical leftists see American schools as institutions not of education, but of re-education. And it has produced three distinct scandals in this arena of education. As I mentioned, educational achievement. There is no demographic group in this country that in the 2020s is performing better in spite of the trillions of dollars we have spent on education than they were a decade ago, two decades ago, or three decades ago. Secondly, The ideological indoctrination that we're funding with our own tax dollars is intended to reorder America as we know it, using not just our own schools, but our own kids, our own students. And finally, as many of you discovered the hard way in the last two years of COVID lockdowns, the education bureaucracy has an open hostility to any questions about greater transparency. As you know, I like to tell the truth tell the truth in an unvarnished way, but always want to conclude by talking about solutions. And so the solution for education is very simple. To solve all three of these scandals, we have to empower parents to make decisions for their own kids. What schools they attend, what classes and curricula are taught, and making sure that education dollars fund students, not systems, captured by leftist partisans. The failure of our schools and universities is a scandal. I would even argue it's an outrage. But this is the key point. It's also an opportunity. And it's an opportunity that I have said multiple times in the last few years is the opportunity of a lifetime. Conservatives have a moral imperative to seize that opportunity and rescue the next generation. And by doing so, rescue our country's future. Joining me today to go into further depth on the state of education is a great friend of mine and president of the University of Dallas, Dr. Jonathan Sanford. He's doing things the right way, and he's building a model that other colleges and universities ought to embrace, which is to say he's focused on the real purposes of education, as you will see. But first, don't forget to subscribe to The Kevin Roberts Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and give the show a five-star rating while you're at it. Stay with us. I'll be right back with Dr. Jonathan Sanford. President Lincoln once said, elections belong to the people. Here at the Heritage Foundation, we hold these words to be true. However, for elections to truly belong to the people, the people need to trust their results. 
that's where the Election Integrity Scorecard comes in. We created this tool so that citizens like you can rediscover the rules, regulations, and overall transparency of voting in your respective state. Find the Election Integrity Scorecard on the Heritage Foundation's website at heritage.org slash election scorecard. Well, next up is a conversation you'll love with my friend, the president of the University of Dallas, Dr. Jonathan Sanford. JJ, thanks for being here. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me, Kevin. Well, among other things that we could talk about with you, because you are a great academic leader in this country, the one we're going to focus on today is the state of American higher education mm -hmm. and sort of by extension, the future. But let's just, before we even talk about the University of Dallas, which is a great institution, Give us an assessment on, in your experience as a, as a president of a very important liberal arts college, as a professor before that, of American higher education. Mm -hmm. it's, it's in disarray. I, mm -hmm. I think that doesn't surprise anyone who's listening to us to hear me say that. It's in disarray for a couple of reasons. One, mm -hmm. one of which is the specialization of universities. That's something that has taken place over the last, really, 60 years. So much so that it's it's hard to call certain universities universities if you know what that term means. I mean, they're really multi-versities. Mm -hmm. And the, the fundamental principle of a liberal arts university is to think about the unity of knowledge, how the different disciplines interrelate and cohere in a kind of whole, right? So we've moved away from that notion. And as you know, there's deep suspicion about the purposes of the university in the public mind. And sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for not so good reasons. Mm -hmm. Part of the problem is that universities haven't done the job they're supposed to do when it comes to really educating students for that unity of knowledge and instilling in them those arts that really make them excellent reasoners, clear writers, and eloquent speakers. So is it correct to say that the original purpose of the university hundreds of years ago was that, that, that there is, of course, going to be some degree of specialization eventually, but not as early as, as we, we see today, but that really the first purpose was for students to understand that unity of knowledge? I would say yes. Mm -hmm. Now, um, if you go all the way back to the very origins of the university, that's with the University of Bologna. Mm -hmm. They were a law university in many respects. Okay, mm -hmm. So that's fairly specialized, and they quickly discerned we need to have some kind of foundation so that our students are sufficiently prepared to engage in the kind of specialized research they do in law. Think of the University of Paris. Similar thing. Mm -hmm. you, you did your, your minor work in what we would call a liberal arts framework. Mm -hmm. And then from that, you went on to theology and eventually additional degrees, right? So the, the um, original leaders of universities quickly learned that it is fundamentally important to have that kind of unified approach to understanding. In this own country, in our own country, um, you know, many of, of our, our, in fact, all of our first universities, uh, with the exception of University of Virginia, were religiously based. Mm -hmm. And in addition to having a, a unified view of knowledge, the goal was to make sure that students can trace the path to God. And, and there was a sectarian emphasis that was part and parcel to this process. Mm -hmm. That gets us into thinking about not just the intellectual virtues required to be clear thinkers, but the moral virtues that really build up a character so that graduates are ready to lead in whatever walk of life they're called to. Well, that's right. And, and to your point about the University of Virginia and then the slew of public universities that were founded thereafter, 
even though they were non-sectarian public universities, they also shared that vision of some form of unified knowledge, which is really crucial. But I just want to invite the, the sort of obvious devil's advocate question, if you don't mind. Say someone in the audience is sitting there and saying, okay, Dr. Sanford, we get that the institution you lead is, is a liberal arts school. We understand that you're dyed in the wool for the liberal arts, but we understand there has to be specialization. Mm -hmm. and, and what's your problem with that? I don't, do I don't have a problem with specialization as such. Okay. What I have a problem with is specialization at the very root of an education. Mm -hmm. you, you need to, just, just as you and I both know, to be a really excellent athlete, you need to have a good foundation in terms of your, your physical health, right? So you've, right. you've got to be able to run, you've got to be able to um, do push-ups and, and other exercises. That's different than the kind of specialization you need to be an excellent basketball player, right? Where you've got to shoot a lot, but you've got to, you've got to have the foundation in place in order to specialize effectively. What we've seen more and more are enormous majors or even, even the, the sales pitch that will get you through this college degree in the fastest time possible so that you can go on and, and work whatever your professional job is going to be. And oftentimes those graduates wake up at the age of 30 or 35 or sometimes 45 and think, what on earth am I doing? with my life. They didn't, they didn't have that foundation. Mm -hmm. And I would actually argue that they're not as excellent as the specialists that they are. We're finding this more and more, um, even within the, the Dallas uh, Metroplex, that there's a, a, a real um, call that's gone out from corporations for people with liberal arts degrees. Now, we do have a business degree mm -hmm. on the undergraduate level. We've got a college of business with all kinds of specializations. But even there in our college of business, we want our students to be effective communicators, to be deep analyzers. We want them to be able to make a case for whatever it is that they're putting before a, a committee of, of judges and, and to move up the ranks. Mm -hmm. And our graduates do that swiftly. So yeah, I am I'm partisan. Um, I love the University of Dallas. It, it, it is the, um, I'm convinced, the, the uh, most significant Catholic liberal arts university in this nation. Um, but I have reasons for that, and I'm happy to talk about those reasons at length. Well, and, and you should. We'll come back to that certainly before we close. But I just want to underscore the comment you just made by saying none other than the Wall Street Journal. An outlet you might not expect to say the following has become a huge proponent for liberal arts education for the very reasons you mentioned. And it is that employers, whether they're large businesses or small businesses, understand that they need employees of integrity. Mm -hmm. They need employees who understand the public square but have not been trained in a particular partisan tradition or another. And most importantly, they understand as em employers, especially if they're virtuous, that they're going to specialize them anyway. That's that right. for That's all right. of us in our respective avocations, we we develop our specialized training at, at our place of employment. All of that to say, and to lead to this question, for those who don't know the University of Dallas, what's the approach that the university takes to having sort of a foundation set of, foundational set of courses and then giving students the opportunity to begin mm -hmm. to specialize? Yeah, so um, I guess maybe three things to focus mm -hmm. on. Right? We've, got, we've got a core curriculum right. that's basically a two-year integrated core curriculum. A lot of other universities have um, courses that you take as part of a general education, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of distribution amongst those courses. We want our students taking the same courses. All of our students take four literature courses, four history courses. They all take a course in the American Founding Principles. They all take uh, philosophy courses, theology courses, math and science courses, and the sciences have lab 
requirements as part of those courses. So they, they develop that foundation. They begin to think about the relationship between the different disciplines, and that makes them prepared for one of the many majors that we offer, more than 40 majors. And, and our, our students move into those majors in a way in which they're, they're really enabled to mm-hmm. excel as they leave the University of Dallas and go on into their careers. A second distinguish, distinguishing feature is we, we're serious about our, our commitment to the faith. We're mm-hmm. a Catholic university. You don't hear that in the name, and um, and yet we we are indeed a Catholic university. We're not run by a particular uh, religious community. Mm-hmm. We're not run by the diocese, although the bishop of the diocese is our chancellor. We're a lay-run Catholic university that's committed to the apostolic constitution called Ex Corde Ecclesiae. Why does this matter for the liberal arts? Well, Plato, in his dialogue, the Phaedo, after he goes through a series of arguments about the immortality of the soul, and none of them are standing up, and his interlocutors are are disheartened, and um, he he pauses and says, "Look, we're we're on the precipice of falling into what he calls misologi," mm-hmm. and he says its origin is like misanthropy. Uh, that is to say, you put your trust in an argument in this case or mm-hmm. in reason as such, and then it fails you, and you become a hater of reason. And he says, we, we need to have some way to establish surety. For Plato, that's where he moves into the invocation of, of certain myths, mm-hmm. right? He, he turns to um, the mystical realm or the spiritual realm, however you want to characterize it. He, he's obviously not a Christian. He's a pagan philosopher. But, but I would say something similar is needed with, within a rigorous liberal arts education where you have recourse to certain foundational principles. And it's a matter of conviction that mm-hmm. faith and reason cannot contradict each other, right? You may not understand how they relate, but that can give you the kind of surety of conviction to enable you to go back into the, the fray. And, and so your faith in reason is strengthened when you're pursuing the liberal arts mm-hmm. within a faith-based institution. The third thing we do, we have about 85% of our students who participate in our study abroad program in a campus we own just outside of Rome. That opens up to our students the world in ways that just staying stateside cannot. And I think of the the European theater, if you will, as as a kind of of humanities lab for Mm -hmm. our students. And so the history, the philosophy, the theology, the literature, the, the immersion into art history, um, that all takes life and shape in ways that it couldn't otherwise. And they come back um, more rooted and deeply appreciative of America and American founding principles, mm-hmm. but with a, a deep understanding of the, the world that lies outside of our borders. Thanks for that explanation. So as, as we wrap up here, I'm going to pitch you one final question, which is a question that will sort of draw back from the beautiful environment that the University of Dallas is, and, and for that matter, draw back even from higher education specifically and talk about education in America broadly. So it's a question about trends and patterns. Obviously, the state of American education, and, and I say this charitably, K-12, higher ed, I would argue is deplorable, mm-hmm. and it's deplorable on every level. It's it's deplorable on the level of education. That is sort of the, the hard skills that we're supposed to be teaching. It's deplorable on the level of formation, whether in the case of the University of Dallas, you understand that to be spiritual. In the case of a public school with government funds, formation and for the purposes of being a good citizen, mm-hmm. also related to virtue. The question is, if I gave you a magic wand and said, Dr. Jonathan Sanford, here's your magic wand to fix American education, how would you wave it? 
what would you do? Wow, that's a that's a it's a lot of power. It's a lot of power. Um, I'm going to say something that that may surprise you a little bit. Okay, I, lay I would, it on me. I, I would get rid of AP credit and dual credit, and and this is the reason. Um, a lot of students come in with 30, 45, 60 mm-hmm. credit hours, and they want to specialize right away. Universities still require 120 credit hours or so, and they fill the time with something else, and that something else isn't always particularly good. So universities have moved away from thinking about how can we ensure that the students coming in, you know, regardless of consideration of, of their advanced placement credit, will receive the best of educations. So. Um, if, if one eliminated that, and it's a bit of a racket, I have to say, right? So we're, we're uh, hit with a proposition every semester that, you know, this course that I took in high school um, from a high school level teacher, and, and, and there are many excellent teachers mm-hmm. out there, is the same thing as this course you offer at the University of Dallas. Well, I'm sorry, it's not. And when you were 16, 17 years old, you were not as mature as you are as an 18, 19, 20-year-old, mm-hmm. where going through the kind of material that has shaped itself into the curriculum that we provide is going to be able to be received in ways it just cannot. So that, that would be one policy thing mm-hmm. that, that I would love to see changed. Then you're going to need to find faculty members who have the mindset that not only are they supposed to be focused on advancing research in their particular discipline, mm-hmm. but they need to be more principally focused upon educating the whole person, each person who comes into their doors. And I often think of the kind of education that one is striving to provide as, as really a kind of friendship for the sake of friendship, where you mm-hmm. cultivate friendship for the truth in your students. You, you open yourself up to not a friendship of equality, but a kind of friendship with the students. And the students, of course, are developing friendships. And ultimately, that friendship ought to be oriented towards God. I, I know you can't do that in a state institution, um, but you certainly can in a faith-based institution. Mm-hmm. And you have to be explicit about it. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'd sit here and talk to you for a few hours, but you're a busy guy. You've got a, a school to run. And I just want to thank you, Dr. Jonathan Sanford, for joining me. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much, Dr. Roberts. You bet. So all of you know that one of the reasons we started the show at the Heritage Foundation is to bring you conversations from the nation's capital that might surprise you. And what I think might surprise you about this conversation is that it really cuts through the noise. That's really the point. That's the path to taking back America and restoring our institutions. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Big tech is out of control. If they can silence the sitting president, what can they do to you? The Heritage Foundation has been on the front lines, fighting for free speech. We spotlight big tech censorship, demand reform, and help you fight for your rights. Heritage was the first conservative organization to reject big tech's money, because this is too important. We won't be silenced. Welcome back, everyone, for our final segment of the show. We talk about getting you equipped to fight for freedom, and that's just what we're going to do. Parents across the country have had enough. They don't want their children influenced by critical race theory, radical gender ideologies, or other dogma the left wants to impress upon them. They want to do something about it. Some are speaking up and taking action. One of the themes of this show, in fact, it's kind of the reason I do this show, is that more Americans need to speak up and take action. Well, one of my great friends... One of my partners in taking action is Jessica Anderson. She's the executive director of Heritage Action for America, our sister organization that's focused on grassroots activism 
and getting Americans across the country into the fight for a freer and more prosperous future. She's joining us to explain how you can get involved and fight back. Jessica Anderson, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. You have so much you could talk about because there's so much that Heritage Action does. But I want to key in on this theme about fighting back Mm. and basically what your organization's fighting back against, what Heritage is fighting back against, what the Heritage Enterprise fights back against every day is leftist ideology. Mm -hmm. Respond to that. Well, first off, this is a team effort. I think what we learned from the COVID lockdowns, fast forward to CRT, is that parents want to be in control of their children's education. And the best way we know how to do that is to demand transparency from school boards, from parent, from teachers, from teachers' unions, pushing back on all of that. And so what we found is the more power you give to the parents, the more they're actually going to do to protect and push back against this left leftist ideology that's that's permeated the classroom. And so mm-hmm. first and foremost, activists all across the country um, can do more, can stand up, can go to those school board meetings, can demand to see the curriculum and the syllabus mm-hmm. for their kids, um, especially in an age where you still have online learning that's part of the K through 12 experience. Parents are hearing directly what their kids are learning, and that's what's raising the alarm bells. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's what we're focused on. We're trying to give more transparency to parents and then equip them with the tools to really take ownership back to their kids' education. And so on that point about parents taking ownership of their kids' education, sometimes I see on Twitter of all places, Mm -hmm. but more importantly, in in in-person conversations with people, people in the center, people left of center, that I am making too much over the lack of transparency when mm-hmm. it comes to curricula. And and I try to pr- produce all of this data, but I just want to give you the opportunity to respond to that because it seems as if we can, if we can convince more Americans that school districts, school boards, the 1,700 assistant superintendents in charge of leftist ideology, mm-hmm. in fact, are purposefully obfuscating. They're, they're just obstructing the parents' ownership of their kids' education that we might actually convince some more Americans yeah. to take action. Yeah, I, I think you're right. When, when schools, and in particular school boards, operate in the dark, bad things happen, mm-hmm. right? We saw that in Loudoun County with the cover-up of the rape. We see it in, mm. in counties like Gwinnett County in Georgia, the largest public school county in the state where, cricket, where critical race theory is embedded in every single class uh, content throughout the day of a K-12 through student. We see it in some of the biggest counties that are in Texas where there's CRT laced in the AP syllabuses. So those instances all operated in the dark without Mm -hmm. any accountability, without any transparency to parents. And as a result, kids are getting taught things without parents even knowing. Mm -hmm. And, And that's a problem. So when you ask this question point blank to the American people, actually the majority of Americans, Republicans, Democrats, and independents support more parental involvement because they want to know what their kids are learning. I mean, look, I'm a mom. I have two children, one that's a school age, uh, third grade going into fourth grade. He spends more time at school than he does with me. Mm-hmm. I-, I need to know what he's being taught. I mean, that is a huge part of what is shaping his little um, future as an American citizen. And if I don't have transparency into that, who knows what's going to happen to him? So um, this idea that we can allow schools to operate in the dark without any accountability is wrong. It's un-American. Um, and that's really, frankly, what parents are standing up mm-hmm. to do is to, is to take that agency back. Do you think, especially from your perspective as a mom of school-aged kids, that in this case the left has has overreached? Mm-hmm. By that I mean they've they've shown their hand in particular 
Randy Weingarten, other teacher unions types, actually saying out loud what they probably shouldn't, which is that they, not you as a mom, are in charge of your kids. It was a wild experience to watch all of the flip-flopping from the National Teachers Unions on multiple occasions the past 18 months. You know, first they came out and said, no, there's no critical race theory in any of our schools, period. They pulled it off of their websites. Well, we had the screenshots of that from all of their um, big conferences where they talked about Marxist ideology and putting it at the base level through the Common Core curriculum. I mean, that's where this all started, right? It wasn't the Common Core standards. It was the Common Core curriculum that slid CRT into all of our schools. So Mm -hmm. the National Teachers Union said, no, 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 there's no CRT. Well, then the left went crazy and said, yes, there is. We need to be teaching this progressive ideology. So then they backpedaled and said, oh, wait, there is, but it's not as bad as everyone thinks. So they they read the same polls we do. They hear the same parental outcry that we do. They know they're in the wrong, but they're trapped. Yeah. And and teachers unions, unfortunately, are beholden to these far-left, woke, progressive policies. And until we break that foothold through the state legislature, through governors pushing back, we're not going to make any progress. Mm-hmm. So that's that really is the goal. If we can break that foothold that they have, then that can usher in so many other conservative uh, parents' first, uh, children's first curriculum, like school choice, that we're working on and have a long-term plan to get to. But that's the first step. The other thing that they 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 can't decide on is who's in charge. Right. I mean, we saw this with the governor's race uh, uh, for Virginia, where you had the Democrat governor that was leading in the polls at the time come out and specifically say, I don't want parents in charge of their kids schools. It's like, cue, cue, cue the back of the back of the curtain person that's freaking out because that was just such a wild statement to make. And it ended up blowing up in his face. And that's why we have um, Governor Yunkin that won because of parents standing up and saying, no, I do want to have a choice in my kid's school, and I want to be able to have um, some level of transparency into what my child is learning. I think that's so important, and it's important because that's the foundation, as you state, of changing policy. Mm -hmm. And so give us a glimpse, because you and your staff are, are tracking every day state legislation for parental rights. Is there enough progress going on at the state legislative level that might excite people who are watching this? Yeah, state legislators um, are trying to be bold, and Mm. they're just getting started. Florida, Kansas, Alabama, Mississippi, Mm. South Carolina, Arizona, they're all trying to take on this issue head on. And they're coming at it from two different ways. They're either moving these parental bill of rights bills through. Um, What that does is provide that academic transparency, or they're being even more direct, and they are trying to root out the rot of critical race theory in the actual curriculum. Mm -hmm. So both efforts are good. Both efforts are super important, and they're happening at the same time. What they ultimately need to lead to, though, is and where I hope they will they will get in 2023 is a renowned clarion call to push private school choice. Mm-hmm. If we don't get there at the end, then that's just addressing right. This is this is the first step of many that we need. So my hope is is that these big school choice states like Texas, like Florida, they have both have huge opportunities to tackle this head on and provide opportunity for all students, regardless of economic background or where their school lies in a rural versus an urban school district, um, and really give school choice back to parents and allow money to follow the student and not go to the school or the big school board or the 
um, superintendents. So mm-hmm. that's the goal. Um, and I certainly want to applaud the state lawmakers that have recognized what, what we do at Heritage, which is that getting education right is the bedrock of our republic. And and getting this to a place where we can be proud of what our kids are learning mm-hmm. um, and not worried about it is going to put a whole host of parents across the country at ease about our future. Yeah, and I want to use that to to pivot to a really important question, not just for you and Heritage Action, but hopefully for every member of the audience. Because I think what y'all at Heritage Action do so well every day is connect policy with action. Mm-hmm. And so... Is there an example or two? I mean, you and I didn't talk about this beforehand, so this is going to be a natural response from you, which is awesome. Is there an example or two of people, Sentinels, who are your Heritage Action members, who made a difference? And and the underlying assumption in that question, as you know, Jessica, is confronting this complaint that we hear from people like you and me and our families. Well, there's nothing I can do. Mm. You know, I'm just a guy. I'm just a gal. There's nothing I can do. Respond to that. Well, there's so much that you can do, whether you have an hour mm-hmm. uh, or you have 10 hours. We, we Frankly, we need the help. And mm-hmm. so uh, SaveOurSchools.com is the one-stop resource mm-hmm. shop where anyone can go to pull resources, everything from how to submit a FOIA request to understand what's going on behind the scenes to talking points with your state lawmakers. Mm-hmm. Everything is there. It's a broad coalition across the country at SaveOurSchools.com. As far as examples, though, you know, the best stories come when they come from the ground up. Right. And so we have a fabulous collection of Sentinels that are in Gwinnett, Gwinnett County, which is the largest county uh, in the state of Georgia with a huge public school system. They started going through the curriculum that was available online, mm-hmm. and they started taking screenshots. And they started saving those screenshots because they were worried, well, what if they go away? What if someone takes it down when we expose just how radical mm-hmm. the syllabuses are for our kids' schools in public school? And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. The Sentinels put together a letter. They pointed it out uh, to the school board superintendent. Mm-hmm. They asked, what's going on here? Can we get this removed? We don't want to have this Marxist ideology actually written and articulated on the syllabuses. Um, And they said, no, there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. And then these parents, our sentinels, were actually able to show them the screenshots of the curriculum and say, no, it's it's literally right here. You just took it down by from your website. And to me, you know, when you when you make a mistake and you try to hide it, right, it's it's guilty by omission. I mean, that's that's what they were doing there. So that was that was really cool to Mm -hmm. see a very similar story of parents that stood up at the state capitol um, in Arizona this last week that we had about two dozen Sentinels that went to support uh, the reject CRT bill that's moving through Mm -hmm. the Arizona state legislature. They had big signs, you know, let parents uh, serve and support our kids, put kids first, not teachers unions. And they did what what we call hallway activism. Mm -hmm. So they went door to door talking with the state lawmakers that were pushing these bills. And they said, hey, we have your back. Get this done. Stand up to the teachers union. And that bill now is going through the Arizona state legislature and hopefully will end up on Governor Ducey's desk here in the next two weeks. So there's there's a lot people can do, um, whether you can literally commit to, to doing FOIAs and showing up at rallies or you just can send a simple email. The truth of the matter is lawmakers at the state level aren't used to hearing from constituents. Mm -hmm. So 10 emails gets their attention really, really quick. Um, And SaveOurSchools.com is a great place to start to learn how to do that. Well, thanks for that. So if someone is is watching or listening to that response and they said, oh, I want to be part of that. In other words, I want to be a sentinel. How do they do it? 
Well, we'd love to have them, first and foremost. Um, Sentinels are the most active activists all across the country. Mm -hmm. And the best way you can do that is to go to Mm heritageaction.com, click your state, and then you will actually meet and be able to visit in person with your state director who will walk you through all different ways to get involved at the local level. So let's say you don't want to engage on the school curriculum, but you're really focused on the economy or you're Mm -hmm. really focused on combating China um, or you're interested in healthcare, whatever issue you're interested in there's a team on the ground in place that you can directly plug into and our Mm -hmm. state directors are the best person to play matchmaker we'll meet you in a a conservative friendly area where you can talk openly and we can strategize about how to flip your state back or how to support the good guys to do the right thing yeah that's right and and the good guys and gals in elected office need encouragement Mm -hmm. well jessica it's a pleasure working with you and thanks for being with me thanks so much for having me heritage action loves our relationship with the heritage foundation and we look forward to continuing to work together It's special. We're going to take back this country. That's right. Yeah, thanks. That's a wrap for this week's show. I want to, again, thank my guests, my good friends, Dr. Jonathan Sanford of the University of Dallas and Jessica Anderson of Heritage Action for America. Please don't forget to subscribe to The Kevin Roberts Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please give the show a five-star rating while you're at it. And tell a friend. Our movement is for everybody because our solutions are for everybody. Take care, and I'll see you next week.